This week on the According to Sources podcast, we're up to episode 12, which means it's time for a quarterly review. As Labor Day draws closer, what are the most intriguing activist and merger situations on the board? Which deal spreads are the safest place to park your money? And I'm going to give you one situation that I'm absolutely avoiding. I'm Mike Samuels, founder and portfolio manager of the event-driven hedge fund, Broom Street Capital. And this is According to Sources for the week of August 26, 2018. It's crossing the tape right now. Let me explain what's happening here. Some breaking news to share with you this morning. M&A related. There's good activism. I think eBay is in that situation. They got a jewel in PayPal. There's bad activism. Unfortunately, JCPenney was a dying company. Examples of activism gone awry. It was not a surprise to me that that deal fell through. This is such a game changer. Hello and welcome to According to Sources, a podcast that devotes its time to the discussion of mergers, activism, and the sources that both cover and surround them. Despite the lack of fresh deal news, there are a lot of situations that are very much alive and in limbo. As someone that's traded in the event space for 12 years now, I think it's important to try and review pending news with fresh eyes. And for the purpose of organization, I'm going to review the top 10 most intriguing deal situations, starting with... For months and months, I had been the only one at the FCC expressing concern about Sinclair's transaction with Tribune. And we came together unanimously last week and decided that this transaction needed to head to an administrative law judge for further information. Yes, number 10 is Tribune Media, ticker TRCO. When Tribune's recent deal with Sinclair was rejected by the FCC, it sent shares from 38 to as low as 32. But they've bounced back, and I believe one of the reasons they've bounced back is because Tribune is most likely not going to be a public company for very long. Now, I'm always trying to take events from the past to try and predict outcomes in the present. And this situation to me is very similar to how events played out when Time Warner Cable was sold a few years ago. Remember, it was Comcast who had originally attempted to buy the property. And when the government rejected that bid based on antitrust, it immediately sparked a bidding war between Altice and Charter. TWC shares sunk to as low as 173.5 when the Comcast deal was rejected, but only six months later, it struck a deal to be bought by Charter for 210. Now, there was a bidding war to buy Tribune in 2017, and I very much believe that those same players, particularly private equity, are still very much interested. And I think TRCO is a great situation to own if you have a longer-term time horizon. Number nine. This next situation is the one I'm absolutely avoiding, mostly because it's related to number 10. Now, on July 11th, Reuters News reported that the PE firm Apollo had approached Nexstar Media about buying the company, and the ticker on this is NXST. Shares traded as high as 89, but I think it's clear from the comments from Nexstar CFO Tom Carter at a recent conference that they're very much an interested buyer of assets. And with Tribune back in play, I think speculating as Nexstar as a takeout target is something to be avoided. And it's much more likely that Nexstar could end up being a bidder or perhaps the buyer of Tribune when it's all said and done. So number 10, to buy Tribune. Number nine, to avoid buying Nexstar Media. Coming in at number eight, 
I guess you could call this a toy tie-up. We've got some headlines crossing from Dow Jones right now that Hasbro has made a takeover approach to Mattel. That was CNBC's Morgan Brennan, and the date was November 10th, 2017. Now, if you recall, David Faber had broke a story in February of 2016 that Hasbro and Mattel were thinking about getting together. In my opinion, there are certain companies that are just destined to merge. Then we saw this with Sprint and T-Mobile. We saw it with Time Inc. and Meredith. There are situations where the synergies between the two companies are just too clear to ignore. And I think that exists here. But Mattel has attempted to go at it alone, and their struggling brands combined with a heavy reliance on Toys R Us has sent the shares from $45 in 2014 to under $10 in 2018, and the stock sits today at 15 and a quarter. While I have no sense of timing, I do think that on April 19th, when Mattel CEO Margot Georgideya stepped down and Enon Kreitz took the job, it signaled that Mattel's chances of staying public might be slimming. Kreitz, to me, is an expert at setting companies up to be sold, and he's done this twice before already. He did it at Maker Studios, selling to Disney, and he sold a company called the Fox Kids Group Europe to Disney in 2002. And while Disney has its hands full, obviously, in terms of deals right now, I believe his options at Mattel are either to turn the company around quickly or sell to Hasbro. And just a reminder to why this would be such a positive deal for Hasbro, DA Davidson analyst Linda Boltzen-Weiser in 2017 called the Hasbro-Mattel deal very attractive for Hasbro, both financially and strategically. And her analysis assumes $800 million to a billion of multi-year cost synergies, resulting in Hasbro EPS potential of 750 to 850. And she believes putting a 20 multiple on that could yield a Hasbro price between 140 and 160. Much like Tribune, I believe Mattel is a great event name if your time horizon is a little bit longer. Coming in at number seven and number six are two names that both come from the Elliott Associates portfolio, Arconic, which is A-R-N-C, and Nielsen, N-L-S-N. Now, Elliott got its way when they convinced Alcoa to split into two companies, AA and A-R-N-C. They also got their way when CEO Klaus Kleinfeld resigned. And now the Wall Street Journal is reporting that suitors are lining up to buy the aerospace company in its entirety. The journal reported in July that several private equity firms were willing to pay in the mid-20s for Arconic, whose shares at the time were around 17 before the news first surfaced of the talks. Now, despite the fact that PE deals have increased in size of late, it's important to remember that this would be one of the biggest leverage buyouts in recent history. In my experience, the bigger the check, the less likely of a deal occurring. And I think ARNC has about a 50-50 shot of being bought. And I'm not interested in 50-50 shots. And therefore, until further information does surface, I'll be staying on the sidelines in Arconic. For Nielsen and LSN, I think only positive headlines are coming going forward. But I would be stunned if the company was sold outright. Now, Jeffrey's analyst, Surrender Tind, believes there are three possible outcomes for Nielsen. Number one is that they could sell the entire company. They view this as the least likely outcome for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's unclear who a strategic suitor could be, so it would most likely involve private equity. And the check needed to buy Nielsen would need to be large, 
at least 18 or 19 billion assuming debt. Now, Nielsen has two businesses, a stagnant buy business and a growing watch business. And in Jeffrey's second scenario, they believe Nielsen could just sell off the buy business, which they value around two to two and a half billion dollars. And therefore, they believe the watch business would re-rate higher. In fact, they believe the watch business alone could be worth $29 to $33 a share over the long term. And as a reminder, Nielsen's stock was 22 before Elliott filed. In scenario three, Nielsen spins off the buy business into its own separately publicly traded company. Now, this clearly would be the less preferred outcome, as it meant they couldn't sell it outright for the value they wanted. Now, I've already sold some puts in Nielsen, as I believe the headlines for the next six months will continue to be good. But I also think that this rapid move of up 20% from the lows following a string of terrible quarters is a case of too much too soon. And I'd be much more interested in Nielsen around the $24 level. Five. Number five is a name I spoke about around two months ago. It's a name that's been speculated in the past that perhaps now has finally had the green light to sell. And I'm talking about Hain Celestial. Bloomberg's Ed Hammond reported this in November of 2017. There are some really attractive assets in Hain. They have some good businesses, but they also have a lot of not very good businesses. So it's unclear to us at the moment whether people who are looking at this are looking at doing a whole company transaction or if they're just going to try and cherry pick brands. Um, the issue with the second thing, if they do try and do that, is will Hain be interested? Because if you're Hain, you're not going to sell off your crown jewels and just be left with a sort of a, a less good company. So potentially you'll see, you know, you could see a strategic company team up with a private equity company to, to sort of take out the whole of the Hain business and then divide up who gets which assets. Again, that was Bloomberg's Ed Hammond. The major impediment to any deal for Hain Celestial has been longtime founder and CEO Erwin Simons. And despite the fact that there's been an activist, Engaged Capital, who's been extremely successful in several food companies, Simons seemed reluctant to sell the company. However, on June 25th, Simons officially was removed as CEO. And with Engaged Capital's recent win at Rent-A-Center, I would imagine they'd set their sights on their other activist position, Hain Celestial. There's been a resurgence of M&A in the food space again. First, Conagra and Pinnacle Foods getting together, and now Dan Loeb's presence in Campbell's Soup. It wouldn't surprise me whatsoever to wake up to a headline in Hain Celestial one day, and I do own a small position in the name. Situations three and four come from two deals which have already been announced, and yet their deal spreads are, in my opinion, too wide and for the wrong reasons. And the first name I'm going to talk about is Shire Pharmaceuticals. What we've got here is two relatively underperforming stocks over the last year, and uh, I think investors have been rightly a bit concerned about that uh, as to whether this uh, conglomeration of um, therapy areas and geographies is really going to make them a leader or not. That was the voice of John Roundtree. He is a partner at the consulting firm Novosetka. They they've been following the Shire and Takeda merger since the get-go. There were essentially three reasons not to like the Shire Takeda merger when it was first announced. The first reason was that there was a belief that the Takeda shareholder base just simply wouldn't like the deal. And we saw this in the price of Takeda as it seemed to be in free fall for about two months. And there was a, a relatively small faction of shareholders at Takeda that tried to rise up against the deal. But a recent shareholder vote at Takeda went positively, which did narrow the spread quite a bit. 
The second hurdle was actually cleared this past week. There was a worry over Shire's upcoming August 26th Padufa date for one of its drugs for hemophilia. However, on the 24th, the FDA approved the drug, not only rewarding Shire holders, but also those holding the DIAX contingent value right, which they received nearly two years ago when they were bought by Shire. And the third hurdle is MOFCOM approval. And of course, in the wake of the NXPI situation, any deal needing China will trade a bit wider. But I believe that's just a mere formality and China will approve the deal. So with roughly six months to go until the situation could close, the Shire Takeda spread has 14% left in it. And with two out of the three investor hurdles cleared, only a few geographic approvals remain. And I believe it represents a safe and profitable place to park some longer term cash. Number three is 20th Century Fox. Now, we know we're getting $38 from Disney. The question on everyone's mind is, where will the market value new Fox? And consensus seems to be around $10 to $12. However, analysts have recently been taking down numbers for the new company. They cite rising content costs. For example, the giant contract signed with WWE has analysts believing that rising CapEx could hurt profitability. And there's also the recent story from theinformation.com involving the regional sports networks owned by Fox that Disney is being forced to divest. The information is reporting that everyone from Amazon to Liberty Media to YouTube is interested in these assets. And that executives at New Fox have also discussed buying these assets essentially back from themselves. It's unclear how this massive transaction, which would be between 15 to 20 billion, would change the ultimate valuation of the remaining New Fox entity. And of course, then there is MoffCom approval. The presence of Shanghai Disney requires MoffCom approval for the overall deal. However, while US-China relations are far from cordial, China has been approving deals. Remember, they approved Bain Capital and Toshiba, they approved Marvell and Cavium, and the Disney Fox is obviously not in the technology arena, making it an even less likely target. In my opinion, Fox A is the best name on the board in the merger R world. The deal could get approved in a matter of months, and assuming that the market gives the bottom end of the range for new Fox, you'd still be getting a nearly 9% gross return. Continuing with a China-related theme, the number two most intriguing deal situation on my board right now does nearly 100% of its business in China. What's making Yum China interesting here for these guys? Good morning, Rish. I mean, Yum China is an interesting story for a private equity, mostly because of the potential turnaround of the business. That's the voice of Bloomberg m and reporter Manuel Baigori, and of course, he's talking about Yum China. On July 26th, theinformation.com broke the news that a consortium of private equity, including China's Hill House, was in preliminary talks to buy Yum China, and shares overreacted. They spiked from 35 to over $41 a share. Bloomberg the next day confirmed the story, and they also added the detail that, in fact, several bidding groups, in addition to Hill House, were examining a bid. Then later on August 14th, Bloomberg again reported on Yum China, giving the further detail that the China Investment Corporation, a state-backed agency, was said to be funding part of the group's efforts. This deal has many things I like and many reasons to give me pause. On the positive side, we have multiple sources confirming the story. We also have multiple bidding groups, which could create a more competitive bidding process. We've got a detailed source of funding. I believe Yum China is a willing seller, 
In fact, it's been speculated that the very purpose for Yum to originally spin out the company two years ago was for this idea. Those are the positives. So what are the negatives? This potential deal is still in the uh, preliminary stages, so we have a long way to go. At the moment, it's mostly the private equity houses that we mentioned in this story, uh, led by Hill House, uh, kind of like doing work and trying to uh, make the numbers work. Again, there was Bloomberg M&A reporter Manuel Baigori with further detail on the process going on in Yum China. On one hand, we have reporting with a high level of detail, naming multiple party consortiums with funding would imply that talks are at a more advanced stage. However, as Manuel just said on the 14th, he believes there is a, quote, long way to go. Timing is everything when playing in the event space. Without a clear sense of it, it's difficult to speculate. Another negative is the recent earnings underperformance from Yum China, prompting the recent downgrade of the stock from Oppenheimer, quote, since the spin from Yum in November 2016, shares are up 46 percent versus the S&P 500's 38% gain. Our fundamental analysis now highlights elevated earnings risk versus consensus through 2019 and forces our downgrade to perform from outperform. Recent reports of takeout speculation in China present an interesting angle, but at a 23 times forward PE against elevated near-term operating risks, we no longer view shares as undervalued. And again, that was Oppenheimer Securities. The way I'm playing this for now is by buying the October 37.5 Yum C calls whenever they get to around 85 cents. I think there's a high likelihood of a deal. I think it's possible the deal could come in the mid-40s. But again, I don't have a great sense of timing. In addition, if the deal talks broke down, I could make the case that Yum shares could sink to $30. So I don't want to take the risk of owning the common stock. So to sum up, I find the situation very compelling in Yum China, and I'm currently playing through those October calls, hoping that buys me enough time for the talks to accelerate. And finally, the number one name on my board, my biggest holding, and it's a name I discussed on last week's podcast, American Equity Investment Life. And the ticker again is AEL. Like I said, it's my biggest holding, and I'm looking to buy more under $36 a share. And just to quickly review... Three months ago, Reuters broke the news that the company had been approached by multiple parties. AEL confirmed the talks the next day, and since then, it's been quiet. Now, if AEL gets as much bitter attention as Fidelity and Guaranteed Life did back in 2015, which is an identical company, then I think we could see a comprehensive auction. Remember, FGL got 30 indications of interest and ultimately sold for 12 times earnings, a price tag that if applied to AEL would result in a near $42 a share deal. And again, for my full recommendation on AEL, simply go back one episode to the August 13th podcast where I review in more detail what exactly makes AEL so interesting to me. So to sum up the According to Sources top 10, it's common for situations to pop up and suddenly be forgotten. Mattel, Haines Celestial, maybe Tribune, but they can resurface at any time. But remember, I'm avoiding Nexstar Media. For merger ARBs, I like Shire and Fox A. The lottery ticket for speculation is Yum China. For activism, I'm 50-50 or on Arconic, but think good headlines are ahead for Nielsen, and my number one holding continues to be shares of AEL. That concludes according to sources for the week of August 26, 2018. A few notes. Next week, my guest will be Bloomberg M&A reporter Ed Hammond. 
I'm going to do a deep dive on how stories get leaked. What are the motivations? How do so many false stories get reported? You can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Accord to sources at accord to sources if you have any questions you want me to discuss with ed hammond feel free to tweet me or email me at michael at according to sources podcast.com if you like the content here at according to sources you'll help me to continue to get great guests on by subscribing and leaving a great review my goal is to get the biggest names in journalism banking and activism to come on but i do need the subscriber base to convince them Again, I'm Mike Samuels, Portfolio Manager and Founder of Broom Street Capital, and that was According to Sources for the week of August 26th. I'll see you next week. As a reminder, the opinions and ideas expressed today are the ideas of Michael Samuels, According to Sources, and Broom Street Capital. These parties cannot be held liable for any losses incurred as a result of investments based on this podcast.